Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you are tuning in again, welcome back. And lastly, if you find today's episode or any of these episodes of this podcast to be helpful or insightful, please follow and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're using. The more followers and ratings we get, the more we can help people like you. And without further ado, let's get started. As many of you know, I had some really great experiences as a collegiate swimmer. And when I transitioned into physical therapy, I actually retired from swimming. But those years and years and miles and miles of swimming has definitely ingrained a very strong memory in my head. And as a physical therapist, I see people from all walks of life and all various different physical activity backgrounds. And today we're going to talk about swimming and its relationship with sciatica. And instead of just having me talk for the next hour, I got in touch with our guest today, who not only is a physical therapist, but also works with swimmers. So today's guest is Dr. Ryan Cheney, PTDPT. He is a certified strength and conditioning specialist with over 10 years of experience in the strength and conditioning world, as well as five years of experience of coaching swimmers. Ryan's athletic journey began with swimming for 14 years before switching on over to CrossFit for about 10. And being a very active individual, Ryan has had his fair share of injuries, 20 plus the last time he counted, including agonizing bouts of back pain during PT school. And Ryan has spent the past six months building his own PT practice, Invictus Physical Therapy and Sports Performance, which specializes in working with CrossFitters, weightlifters, swimmers, and outdoor slash extreme athletes. Dr. Ryan, thank you so much for being on today's episode. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for uh, the introduction and for having me on. Of course, of course. I feel so honored to have you on here. Now, before we continue, I do have to ask, do you prefer Dr. Ryan, Dr. Cheney, Ryan? What would you like for me to call you on today? Uh, just call me Ryan. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever experienced this as a PT, but when people meet you, they're like, should I call you doctor? Should I call you so-and-so? And I often say, just call me by my first name, Ashley, or whatever you're most comfortable with. In some cases, I remember back in the day when I would, uh, call a new patient out from the waiting room into the office, I would say, Oh, um, Mr. So-and-so. And they would say, it's Dr. So-and-so. And then I would say, okay, well, you can call me Dr. Mac then. So that, the, those are the types of conversations. <laughs> that's the, that's what, what ended up happening when it came to the, the doctor terminology for me, but let's take a deep dive into everything. Uh, I did a little bit of an intro about you, but I would love to hear a little bit more about yourself and your journey to where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so my athletic background, I was a swimmer for 14 years, including two years uh, collegiate level, uh, developed some shoulder issues along the way. And that ultimately let me, uh, led me to having to hang up my goggles and got interested in strength and conditioning and found that uh, in this case, CrossFit, I was able to fix a lot of my shoulder issues just by getting stronger. And eventually ran into some other naggles and injuries along the way. And that led me to 
pursuing physical therapy because I was uh, frankly tired of my own injuries. And uh, I, I also wanted to help out the swimmers and uh, other athletes that I was working with too, because I would just run into situations where I had no idea what to do. Um, went through PT school through the University of New England in Portland, Maine, and then uh, moved back to my home state, Colorado, Colorado Springs, practiced in a smaller clinic for a while, became kind of disenchanted with the whole realm of insurance, as I'm sure you can share some of my sentiments and uh, decided to specifically focus on working with these uh, same populations, CrossFitters, swimmers, and outdoor athletes, as you mentioned. What an awesome journey. We actually share a lot of commonalities as well. Luckily for me, I didn't have to go through too many injuries that forced me to retire, um, but definitely the injuries themselves made things uh, definitely less than ideal. And so listeners, if you missed out on my episode a few weeks ago, I actually shared with you my journey about my pain that I experienced in college where my back pain was so bad, I couldn't even sit in class and I really needed to seek out help. So I went to the athletic training department. And then um, from there, when I graduated from physical therapy school, I got involved with CrossFit as well. I needed something to do outside. Once I retired from the swimming world, I had no idea what to do with myself. And when I retired, I actually had the opportunity to retire early because I graduated early. But ultimately what happened right there was I was eating and I was drinking as if I was still a swimmer. So when I retired, I ended up gaining like 30 to 40 pounds of just body fat. And I was really out of shape. And I, it was, it was really tough because, uh, at that point I had to wear sweatpants as, uh, as there was no other choice, but wear sweatpants because of my clothes fit. And now I get to wear athletic pants by choice because that's, what's the most comfortable for me. And that's what allows me to do my job, um, the best as possible. So, um, listeners, if you are a CrossFitter, uh, Ryan and I might actually be talking a little bit more about CrossFit and its relation to sciatica in a few episodes from now. So definitely stay tuned because uh, this guy definitely knows his stuff. And so let's get down into the meat and potatoes, Ryan. So sciatica pain actually affects us all. And it doesn't affect, it's not just limited to people outside the swimming world. Um, so for someone who swims, and, and say swims either for uh, true athletic performance, say if they're in high school or in college, or even as an adult, or swims recreationally, how would someone who swims experience sciatic, sciatica pain? How, how could that come about? Yeah, uh, definitely an interesting question and um, maybe a slight uh, tangent here, but a lot of times doctors, healthcare practitioners will actually prescribe swimming in some shape or manner as a, a form to help with low back pain. And in this case, we're, we're talking about sciatica, um, but that's not to say they don't experience, um, you know, back issues and uh, radicular issues as well. Um, and again, kind of outside of where we're not talking about like free act freak accidents where somebody dives in into too shallow water or like slipped on the deck or something. We're talking about, um, like just swimming as a, as a sport. Is it, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Swimming as a sport. Like when you're in the pool, what are some cases in which people can actually experience an onset of back issues or sciatica? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
kind of swimming is notorious for shoulder issues. Like swimmer shoulder is still very uh, common term. But as I was reading through the research a while back, um, back pain actually can be an issue, especially in the um, what we'd call short axis strokes. So butterfly breaststroke, um, because the primary movement is flexion extension through the spine and through the hips, uh, through the kind of body dolphin motion in the breaststroke, you have the arching of the back as you sweep up and then shoot through. And this repetitive flexion and extension, um, can be related as a mechanism for potentially developing, um, back related issues. Um, and whether or not sciatica comes into the equation, um, I'm sure you, uh, know as well as I do that again, it, it's, it's always gray. It's always a little bit murky and the psychological sociological factors that can influence whether or not somebody, you know, has age related or, or normative changes, um, developing, uh, you know, nerve like symptoms versus somebody is like, Oh no, I'm, I'm fine. Um, and again, just kind of looking through, uh, some of my notes here, um, again, that flexion extension, um, and in more so competitive swimmers, they found a higher incidence of changes. Um, so those arthropathies, spondy, I can never say it, but the, the spondies, um, and, um, typically extension related, um, type issues, but that's not to say if, uh, you know, you're having some kind of flexion sensitivity too. Um, something we might attribute to like disc issue. Um, you might see sensitivity or uh, sciatica with things like flip turns where you're aggressively flexing forward and multiply that by however many, um, you know, flip turns and yards you, you have to do there. So um, again, I, I didn't find any specific things about sciatica in swimming, but again, in relation to back issues and accompanying uh, sciatica, that's that's kind of what um, I'm aware of, at least. That makes total sense. My wife and I were actually just talking this morning about her battles with injuries as well, because she was a swimmer. She actually swam at UMass Amherst. She actually mm. fractured her L5 um, and she actually ended up having a spondylolisthesis with a with a fracture and she was a butterflyer. Mm -hmm. And so interestingly enough, there was a lot of flexion and extension and she has like a very, um, a pretty high hinge point. And so pretty much there was a lot of bending and extending, especially with the butterfly, the dolphin kick, which is necessary, especially when it comes to generating force. And just over time, if you're doing it a lot, um, it, it definitely takes its toll on the body. And especially back when I was swimming, it was probably close to 20 years ago and we were doing a ton of volume and i think the the training has evolved a little bit differently uh nowadays um but yeah it's uh and you also brought up a really interesting point about that swimming is a great modality for people who are experiencing low back pain and sciatica because it's considered uh relatively low impact actually no impact at all because you're going to be horizontal and there's no explosiveness or unless you're sprinting so mm -hmm. Um, so with that being the case, 
we have this flexion extension moments. Other people can prefer one or the other. Um, another thing that I noticed, and I'm glad you brought up flip turns, was, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, my, my flip turns didn't improve until I was in college when my coach was telling me, okay, that is not how you push off the wall. Um, but one of the things that I often notice, and I speak with a, a couple of my adult patients where they're like, oh, our flip turns okay. And you probably hear this, uh, say this a lot, where when I work with my patients, they like, flip turns are fine as long as it doesn't cause you pain. But then also when you are doing a flip turn, you have to flip, push off the wall and then flip on over. You can't just turn and twist because that's where you're going to get a lot of really interesting bending and twisting that happens in the, in the spine. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, the, the interesting point I was reading about uh, in one of the research articles was that um, high volume swimmers. So, you know, like you and me swimming 10 K yards a week, um, two days, that sort of deal. They were more prone to have um, changes in their back compared to the recreational ones that were maybe doing two days a week, a lot lower volume. And again, that's not to say we, we can't draw exact causation, right? It's not saying that, you know, you swim too much and you're going to mess up your back. Um, you know, we find in most sports that people just, you use your body and you experience these changes and, um, you know, it, it kind of comes with the territory there. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the sciatica protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now, having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the sciatica protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, the causation itself is uh, is kind of hard to figure out. I have a theory on that, and I would just love to hear your thoughts. And like, what I, I actually, I think you said like, the more you use something, the more you're going to wear it down. Um, one thing that I've noticed, especially with bone, and for you listeners out there, if we're looking at the physiology of bone, physiology of bone is very different than like the physiology of like two inert tissues. So if you were to take two pieces of wood. And if you were to rub those two pieces of wood over time, not quickly, because if you're rubbing too fast, you're going to create a fire. But if you rub those two pieces of wood over time, you're going to end up creating a divot of where you end up rubbing those two pieces of wood. But what's really interesting is that bone actually grows under stress and tension. And so if you stress a bone um, or you put tension on a bone, you actually can facilitate bony growth. And that's where my head is at or where my thought process, where if you take two joints which are covered in bone, you rub them together, you're gonna to get a little bit more of that, like we'll call it degeneration, but you'll have some of those bony overgrowths, um, which is just a, a normal part of the aging process. It's just that as we 
spend more time doing a specific activity and doing those specific patterns, those areas that are affected by those movement patterns can be uh, can be impacted. So that's that's kind of like where my where my head is at. But it seems like you you um, think the same way, which is pretty cool. So we we originally talked about okay, this is the the common instances in which swimmers can experience sciatica from the act of sciatica, uh, from the act of swimming itself. Let's talk about training and and working around the injury first, like in regards to. Uh, for later down the, the line today, we're going to talk about like what happens when someone tells you to rest. But w- one, one big thing is that there is an opportunity for you to be able to train around your injuries. So if we're having someone who's been, uh, who loves swimming, has sciatica and has sciatica when they're in the pool, what are some ways that they can train around this scenario? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, whenever I'm working with a, in this case, a swimmer, um, again, I, I like to start with big picture things first. So ask, it's a lot of question asking. It's like, what is important to you? So if you're a swimmer, obviously it's being able to train, get into the pool there and then, okay, what symptoms are you having? Is it with any particular stroke or position? So like pushing off the blocks or as we mentioned, flip turn, are you feeling more with butterfly versus breaststroke versus freestyle backstroke? Um, is it after a specific amount of time or at a specific intensity? And so just getting as much data as possible that can um, just kind of shape our plan of care and uh, ultimately determine kind of what is an acceptable training limit. So just setting up those brackets for, hey, we're going to be hanging out in this bracket. You're going to be, hey, instead of, you know, training for three hours, maybe we chop it down to an hour and a half. Um, Maybe we're looking at changing the intensity. So maybe we're not doing sprints right now. Maybe we're going to back off on intensity, increase the rest time. Um, We we have lots of options to kind of play with. And if it's um, related to a specific stroke, maybe we're looking at uh, swapping out. So instead of butterfly, maybe we're doing freestyle. Maybe we're doing some kind of drill instead and uh just again like you said training around the issue as it settles down once it does settle down start uh, exposing those tissues again to those loads build it back up and uh try to you up for success after there are many ways to skin a cat and so i'm glad that you were able to say we can definitely train around it and provide various different ways to make the changes whether it be the intensity, the volume, the activity that you're doing. Um, I know that one thing that happened when I was in college and also even in club swimming too, any sort of injured athlete, if they really couldn't be in the pool, they were still doing some sort of physical activity to keep them active. And one of the first things to go that I noticed as a swimmer myself or as a former swimmer was the first thing to disappear wasn't necessarily like my cardio, my physical ability. It was my feel for the water and the feel for the water really threw me off. And so um, even if any of my teammates were in a, a ton of pain and they couldn't really swim, swim, what they would do is they would be in the pool and find a position or a stroke or some sort of activity 
that actually didn't produce or irritate their pain. And so for me, when I was in college, I had such crazy back pain. It was so bad that I couldn't even sit through class. It was terrible. And the only time I felt somewhat normal was when I was swimming because I was horizontal and it was great. But the moment I got out of the pool, I was, I was crawling. It was, it was pretty bad. And so being able to identify, okay, well, what are those things that we need to avoid? Definitely really huge. But then also talking about, okay, what can we do? And especially for you to identify those parameters. And I love the fact, Ryan, that you're talking about asking the right questions. It is important, you listeners out there, that your clinician, whoever you're working with, whether it be a doctor, physical therapist, or chiropractor, they need to ask you a lot of questions to understand what the problem is. And if they don't understand the mechanisms of swimming, you're only going to get a short-sighted version of what could be the most beneficial to you. So if we're talking about short-sightedness, right, Ryan, let's talk about when a doctor says, okay, you, you have to stop swimming. You have to do, you have to stop doing this specific activity because it's automatically going to hurt your back. Um, what, what are what's your response to not the doctor, but if someone says, oh, my doctor says I'm not allowed to swim. What's your response to that? Yeah. Um, and just a, a quick, um, I, I wanted to agree with you. Um, having a provider that understands your sport and your activities is paramount. Um, the, the analogy I like to give people is, you know, if you're a general person, you're just walking, um, you know, want to do daily normal stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can go to the PT clinic down the road. But if you are looking to get more out of it, you definitely want somebody that understands it. Just like if you had a sports car, you're not going to take it to the Jiffy Lube down the street. You're going to take it to a professional mechanic who understands that type of car. So you're, you're a sports car, people. Don't, don't sell yourself short there. Um, but to answer your question, if a healthcare provider is saying rest or, hey, I don't want you swimming anymore, it's kind of the same thing. I would start with just simply asking why, what is their reasoning behind it? Now, are there instances where that could be the right call? Like if you had surgery yesterday and your incision isn't fully healed, then yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's stay out of the pool and let that heal. But in the case of a musculoskeletal injury, um, in this case, again, talking about back pain, uh, sciatica or, or, or shoulder, um, I would make the argument of, again, I, I understand where they're coming from and it's like, I can see where their logic is, um, coming from as well. And at one point as like a trainer, I was very much the same way. Um, it, it seemed to be fear driven. It's like, I don't want you to hurt anymore. So we're going to take the activity that is associated with your pain away and hope that it just calms down. Um, so I would try to not necessarily bash the individual who's recommending rest and or maybe ceasing activity, but maybe offer alternative solutions of, hey, I know your doctor said rest, but I think based on what we're seeing here today, I think we could still get you into the pool or at least activities, find some exercises, an entry point so that you're not just going stir crazy because we took the, uh, you know, large part of your life away from you because of this issue here. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's important for us to be able to uh, keep our relationship in the uh, multidisciplinary approach 
really open and accepting. Um, I remember, uh, even as a young therapist to be able to just ask why and get a sense of understanding because other doctors, other professionals can see things a little differently compared to us. And as much as we are big proponents of being active and mobile, it is important for us to ask questions and identify, well, what are the major reasons? But then also going back to the concept of parameters, what are our limitations? What can we do? And if we can find out that the reason why the doctor says that you can't swim because of your sciatica is because his concern is flip turns, then we can say, oh, let's remove flip turns out of our program for the next three to four weeks. Let's do that. This is going to be our, our alternative. And so being able to identify, okay, how much rest, what are those parameters? What do we need to do to ensure that we are not facilitating or going into those irritating positions uh, is, is very, very key. And I'm glad that you were able to share that. And so from there, um, let's talk about the sciatica pain and, and, and swimming either in during the swimming activity and, or outside. Well, let's talk about sciatica pain with swimming or associated with swimming. Um, if someone was saying to you, Brian, I'm having pain going down my leg. It looks like it's sciatica, but I really love swimming, but it actually happens when I'm swimming. What are some of the questions that you would ask to understand the problem and what would some of the strategies be for you to help them swim pretty much pain-free? Yeah. Um, so again, kind of circling back to some of those same questions, like, Hey, is it when you first get in? Um, is it at a specific um, time point where maybe you're halfway through your workout or three quarters is it at the end of the session? And again, is it in specific positions related to a stroke or maybe it's like pushing off the wall and again, just finding ways to train around that pain, alternative solutions. So again, if you're feeling it when you're kicking with fins, okay, we're going to take the fins away and see if that's an improvement. If it's again, body dolphin or that dolphin kick, again, maybe we're going to substitute flutter kick or just, uh, again, just find different ways and different positions to set you up for success. And, um, and, and so that's the other thing too. So when you're like kicking with a kickboard, and let's say you're doing dolphin kick, very specific example. And being in that horizontal position under a little bit of extension, which again, nothing wrong with unless your back is disagreeing with you. So we just got to respect that. Maybe we're having you kick in a vertical position against the wall. And maybe you find that to be a little bit more agreeable. Or again, I might play with constraining some of the, um, techniques, positions, how can you, how can we use like a kickboard noodle pole buoy, pole buoy, or just make up some specific rules while you're swimming so that it can encourage a, I put quotations, Mark, uh, neutral spine position or less provocative position. Cause if you're sprinting and you're again, hanging out an extension and your body hates that right now, all right, maybe we're just trying to find ways to encourage a flex position and still allow you to, to swim at a, in a less painful or less painful way. Um, and so I might cue like, Hey, just think about driving that chest down a little bit, relaxing through the back. Um, and, and those sorts of things there. It seems like Ryan, you are a professional problem solver. 
um, <laughs> in, in essence, um, asking the questions, uh, listeners, if you've been listening to the, this podcast for a while, I talk a lot about having a clinician who asks you questions, but also the right questions. And I remember working with patients and they're telling me all this information and I'm writing everything down or I'm typing everything out, depending on what setting I'm in. And they, they often apologize like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for telling you all this information. But I often tell them, it's totally fine. It's actually totally awesome that you're giving me all this information because then I can figure out, okay, what are the biggest problems and we're going to solve it together. And it is important that if you ever, and this is if you're currently under the care of a professional right now, if you just tell them my back hurts and then they automatically give you 900 different stretches, one of my biggest recommendations is either to ask why you're giving these stretches. Also, two, you have to let them know whether or not those are helpful. And if they have no explanation whatsoever and they're just focusing on just giving you things and not seeing how you respond, it might be an uh, a good opportunity for you to find a different practitioner who will actually truly listen to what you're going through because there's so many different factors that happen when you're swimming. And an example I was saying earlier before that my wife actually fractured her vertebrae from doing butterfly for a long period of time. I think she did it when she was like 13 or 14 years old. And at the time, her doctor said, you should not do butterfly ever again. It's going to make your back even worse. And as a 13, 14 year old, swimming was all she knew. So she said, no, I want to continue to swim. So she actually ended up going to her first physical therapist who also had her own strength clinic as well. And she got really strong. She built up her core strength. And what was interesting was the fact that that fracture healed because bones will heal. But she had this baseline level of strength, which actually allowed her to control that excessive movement that happens at the back. And so as a result, her core got so much stronger and that she then was able to compete in college. Uh, but then she ended up tearing her shoulder, which is like another thing that we can talk about in the future. But when it comes to pain, the first thing that we need to do when it comes to pain management is bring that pain down and or remove all those activities that would facilitate irritation of that. And I would say either remove or even better, modify those activities, just like Ryan said, trying to find those activities that actually created your pain and either avoid them or modify them, whether it be using a pole buoy, a kickboard and, and breaking that down. But clinicians can't do that unless they ask you questions about the activities that you do and specifically with swimming. So, um, if I were to reflect back on my uh, bout with back pain when I was a swimmer, um, because I was horizontal, I experienced no pain and flip turns felt fine as well, but it was me standing up, me being weight bearing on my spine. I went to the athletic training department. I said, my back is killing me. I don't know what to do. So they stretched my hamstrings, which now that I think about it, they were really tight because now nowadays my hamstrings are not tight at all. I'm actually pretty flexible, but man, that was really, really something. They uh, did a little ultrasound on my back uh, and they did electrical stim. I don't know if that was effective, but, um, and we know that there's some interesting research about electrical modalities, but also that was 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, the re there's a lot of research that happens over the span of 10 years. And so now as a, as a seasoned clinician, 10 years experience, just like you, Ryan, I was thinking, okay, well, there's got to be a better way than these electrical modalities so we can do something beyond that. But, um, but yeah, being able to reflect and see what the biggest problems are. Um, now, so we talked about 
what can bring on side like a pain in swimmers, how to train around it, how to address it, asking those big questions, making those modifications, and also focusing on pain relief. One thing that I often find is we know that you can have a trauma, you can have an overuse, usually with overuse and overtraining um, is often a result of under recovering and not getting enough recovery. When I was 18 years old, I had 10 training sessions a week. I could recover like a beast. Now in my 30s, it takes a little bit longer for me to recover from session after session. And so let's talk about some common recovery strategies, some really beneficial recovery strategies for both the recreational and competitive swimmer that can be really beneficial to helping them uh, recover from all their hard work. Because even though swimming can be relaxing, pools are cold. So you jump in, you're expending energy to make sure that you don't get hypothermia. But then you're also doing a low load activity for numerous cycles. And so when it comes to recovery, what are some really, what are some key go-to recovery strategies that you recommend for your clients? Yeah. And this is uh, the advice I'll give to 16 year old, 18 year old um, <clears throat> swimmer Ryan back in the day too, is unfortunately it's the big boring stuff. So <clears throat> excuse me. Um, making sure you're getting enough sleep, uh, really focusing on solid nutrition, making sure that you're getting enough calories, protein, carbs, um, fat. And again, not uncommon to see in these more aesthetic sports like swimming, gymnastics, climbing, that um, body dysmorphia is a real thing. And even in a, I don't know, call it subclinical level, um, there's this expectation that you want to be as lean as possible, as powerful as possible, because that is ideal. But if you're not getting enough carbohydrates, your glycogen uh, levels are going to be depleted. You're not going to have enough energy to train at the intensity you want to and recover from that. If you're not getting enough protein, that's not going to rebuild the muscles and connective tissue that you need. And if you're not getting enough fat, I know fat still kind of gets a bad name at times, but a lot of hormones are made from fats. So um, testosterone and all the other ones I can't think of off the top of my head right now are super important in not only regulating how we feel, but again, encouraging muscle growth, recovery, feelings of well-being, and those sorts of things. Um, sleep and stress management are crucial. And again, uh, one of the biggest correlations between back pain and other related issues um, are psychosocial factors. So depression, anxiety, um, work slash life satisfaction, um, smoking, and all these other things that may not necessarily have a clear, like this clearly is causing my issues. It certainly could contribute to um, it, in this case, sciatica. Um, and if you're a, you know, college swimmer, I, I definitely empathize with you. You've got a crazy schedule. You're usually, like you said, you're doing two a days. Sometimes you're doing a dry land session. And then on top of that, you're trying to balance college courses. And so sneak a nap in whenever you can. And I distinctly remember, uh, between my classes and practice, I'm like, okay, I have seven minutes and 24 seconds and go and just nap. Um, there is some research to show that short naps up to 15 minutes can be really beneficial for just, uh, reinvigorating you so you can hit the second half of the day, not feel so bogged 
down. Um, so I wish I had some cool secrets, but unfortunately, again, the, the big boring stuff. Oh, and um, cross training. So, um, you know, Ashley kind of said, you said too, that um, your wife found a lot of benefit from strength training and or, or cross training, if you will. And even for myself, once I started doing a lot more pull-ups and push-ups and, and resistance training, I found like, oh, hey, my shoulder feels a million times better. I almost for a half second reconsidered swimming again. And um, again, sport specialization can increase the risk of injury. So just again, spending some time outside of the t- uh, outside of the pool can be really good if for nothing else to, to give you some variety. Right on. Um, even though these solutions aren't considered the most flashy, um, they are the most effective. And it actually kind of reminds me of uh, one of my favorite, I guess, like their Disney movies is this movie called Kung Fu Panda. And in Kung mm-hmm. Fu Panda, they were talking about like, OK, they had this golden scroll that was at the top of this martial arts school. And they said that the true warrior is going to learn the secret to martial arts or like the super secret tool. And what was really and, and that and also um, the father had this super secret noodle recipe. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, what is a super secret recipe? And what was interesting is by the end of the movie, they opened up the scroll and the scroll was just a reflection of the person. And so. What was interesting was the fact that the secret to a lot of this stuff is not something flashy or something that you have to spend a crazy amount of money or even just try to buy or whatnot. It's something that you can do that requires little to no money, but is going to take a little bit of consistency for you to be able to complete. So we're looking at sleep. We're looking at nutrition. Uh, Stress management and cross training is really huge. And I'm so glad that you brought up the concept of napping. I think I got, be, I th- yeah, I think myself in college, I became a master of taking naps. I used to take like five to 10 minute naps. And then as I got lazier in college, I would take like two to three hour naps. And uh, unfortunately, I accidentally missed class. But then when I became an adult and I was working for very long days, I realized how important naps were. So I actually ended up becoming a master of like the 11 minute nap, uh, which has been really great, clears my head. And uh, the concept of cross training, I'll tell you, the moment that I started lifting weights, like saying CrossFit, I said, wow, my body feels so much stronger. And what was interesting was back in 2016, all I was doing was lifting weights in CrossFit. And my friend and I and my wife and his wife, um, we were all ex-college swimmers and we didn't really train in the pool. And we jumped into a master swim meet and we broke a couple records just because we were stronger. Um, and it, it actually turned out to be pretty cool. Um, but really cross training is not only going to help you possibly even move faster, but definitely help uh, minimize the risk of injury. And that's the true purpose of strength and conditioning is that if you're looking at strength conditioning, we're looking at two major goals of strength conditioning, which is going to be improved athletic performance, but then also reduce the risk of injuries. And so, uh, yeah, listeners, if you, if you are interested, we're going to be talking about CrossFit in another episode and how that can positively impact people. And I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, but let's go back to the, the subject matter. So, okay, let's go back to sciatica pain. Someone's experiencing pain and, um, they're they're on their own and they're like okay i'm listening to this episode right now i've been making some changes been switching out my kickboard to a pull buoy but i'm still experiencing this pain if their pain isn't improving what what should they do yeah um 
number one, talk to their provider if they're working with them. Because again, we need this feedback uh, feedback loop in order to adjust our plan of care to make sure that again we're we're heading in the right direction. Is it something that we should be concerned about, or is it something that okay maybe this is just a little hiccup along the the road to recovery? Um, and I oftentimes will tell people that rehab and injuries, especially if it's a longer standing one, it's very rarely a linear perfect progression. And, um, you know, it's really important too that as a healthcare provider that I really address by asking questions like, what is your perception of when you experience pain while you're swimming or when you sit or um, things like that? Because a lot of people um, I have found that they correlate pain with, okay, I'm doing more tissue damage. And that may not necessarily be the case, especially if we're approaching six to eight weeks, three months out, uh, chances are things have kind of settled down um, from a physiological level. And it's more of just, again, neurologically driven central nervous system protective mechanisms that are still determining like, hey, I, I don't know if I trust you with this position yet, because I remember that I got hurt and it was really scary. So I'm going to send that pain signal because I want you to be safe. Um, our bodies and brains are just hardwired to keep us safe. It doesn't care that we want to swim or do the things we love. It cares about keeping you alive and safe. So um, just having that conversation with people, um, trying to keep it as simple as possible, um, making sure that they understand that like, no, 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 like this pain is okay. Um, and I've also found it to be really helpful to establish a kind of acceptable pain uh, scale. So zero being no pain, 10 being the worst pain imaginable. I, especially as we're approaching that more chronic where things are calmed down, it's like, okay, a three to four, so a mild discomfort, uh, achiness, stiffness, soreness is okay to train into in this situation, especially if you start to warm up and you feel good. Um, or it just, it, it doesn't get worse beyond that. That's okay. We're probably not making things worse. And then, you know, again, that feedback. So how are you feeling 24 hours later, 48 hours later, did the pain subside, uh, the soreness and stuff. And if it did, we're probably in that Goldilocks range of like, Hey, we, we stressed your body. We stressed your system, but it recovered and adapted and you're heading in the right direction. Um, and I've, I have found that to be really helpful to reframe people's um, um, perspective on their pain and their tissue and try to shift them away from like, hey, I'm breaking down and degenerating to the, the body can adapt. It can get stronger too. It, it's not um, an analogy a good friend of mine uses a staircase. It spirals, but it's up to you whether or not it's spiraling up or spiraling down. I love that. I love that analogy. It's actually very, very cool. I'm going to for sure use it um, in, in the in the near future, probably in the next couple of weeks. And so I love the fact that you brought up this concept of the acceptable pain scale and dissociating and reframing the mind from pain, not necessarily equating to damage, because for the most part at, tw at the 12 week mark. Yeah. As you said, things are settling down. I often tell my patients by the 12 week mark, whatever needs to be healed has healed already. 
And so in some cases, there are some people and um, what, what I thought, uh, you probably seen this article as well, but like a high percentage, like 80% or plus 80% or more of people who experience back pain and sciatica will just resolve within 12 weeks without it, with any, without any sort of intervention. Um, yep. and so after hearing that statistic and I'm going to find that statistic and I'll put it in the show notes today too, but one of the really interesting things is the fact that we have to ask ourselves is what we're doing irritating what we're experiencing or is it making us feel better? And I, um, I even saying on the spot, Ryan, this actually brings up another podcast um, episode where we can just talk about the neurological and psychological sides of chronic pain, which is going to be something that we'll record in the future as well. But being able to say things are, there's aspects that are acceptable, reframing the mind and ultimately asking for help. I think it's so easy, especially nowadays for us to try to do things on our own. And I think that's totally awesome. That's why um, I have my eBooks. That's why I have my text programs. Um, that's why people come out with books and other programs. So then that way you can get the necessary information and do it on your own. But if you've been doing things on your own and it still hasn't been working, you have an entire network of people who are there to help you. Ryan, myself, other doctors, other movement practitioners, people who are in the business of making you feel better. And it's important for you whenever you get to that point where you're saying, I can't do this by myself anymore. It's totally okay. It's totally awesome for you to seek help because when you're seeking help, one, you're going to be able to avoid a lot of the mistakes, but then also two, you might actually be able to achieve your relief so much faster and experience recovery and an ability to return back to your normal, if not better than normal with help. So, with that being the case, right? Let's talk about asking for help. Ryan, you work with a ton of people. You have CrossFitters, swimmers. Um, if someone were to get in touch with you because they're like, man, that guy, Ryan, sounds like he knows this stuff. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, so I'm very active on social media. And so my Instagram handle is at Invictus PT and Performance. I know it's a mouthful. Um, and then I also have a Facebook page, Invictus Physical Therapy and uh, Sports Performance. Um, I also have a website, and that is InvictusPTCO.com. And um, any of those uh, methods are great ways to get in touch with me, whether that's email or shooting me a DM. Um, I'll, sometimes it can take a little bit, but I will get back to you. And listeners, if you didn't get a chance to write that down, no worries, because I'm going to have his contact information in the show notes. Ryan, this was awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I know that you're super busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to share your brain with the listeners. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me on and uh, letting me, uh, hopefully what I said made sense. <laughs> I, I, I never know. So thank, thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.